Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. My name is Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy. And as always with good friend, managing editor and co-author and everything else, Richard Hill. Hi, Richard. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, dog's body. There's my question. It's great to be here again. Here we are and uh, doing our thing. Now, sadly, you're going to have to scoot out as soon as you've made this introduction and go off and, and do some uh, personal things, uh, which is just fine. So so you're going to leave me to talk to this uh, this really interesting chap that's going on. But have you got any news for us before you uh, scoot off? Uh, well, uh, just a reminder to everybody that uh, we're giving away some books. So check out the link in the show notes. There might be a book there that you would like. And so enter into a competition to grab that. And if you want to be part of our tribe, we would really love for you to join us at the net. That's our academy site where you get all of our magazines and articles and videos and everything, a wealth of information. We'd love you to be part of the tribe, be part of the community. Come and join us. Absolutely. Come on down. I mean, there's there's training programs in there that are worth the, the $99 on their own, um, let alone the thousand hours of other material. But we're going to create some more material now as we go off to the UK. Uh, New Forest is a little place outside of London. And I'm going to talk to a bloke named Andrew Thomas. Now, he's been, um, like me, a late a late entry into the, into the world of therapy. He started off in the corporate world, but he came in and he did his study. He picked up his uh, degrees and he was starting to work with a variety of, of elements, particularly with couples and family therapy. And uh, he's moved into a protocol type of therapy called trigger-based therapy, which is really interesting, but he's developed a thing called the Rainbow Map. And this is a, uh, a tool that you can use in therapy to help people become more self-aware, sort of it's a, it's a, and he's done a really nice job. And so we're going to talk to him about that and how we, how we use it and what we're going to do with it. Okay. So now, for now, we're going to go off to the UK. So Andrew Thomas, all the way from uh, not quite London, you're actually from out near Hampshire Way, a place called New Forest in the UK. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, yeah, it's great to join you. Absolutely wonderful. Yes. Now, you will notice the silence uh, of, of Matt uh, for a little while because he's not here. So I'm very sad. He, he got called away on family business and, uh, uh, and, um, and so we always sympathise with that. But you and I will just have to make do with each other. Well, that's uh, fine by me. I hope his family business resolves itself. And uh, I sort of feel I like I already know you having listened to your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. That's, that's lovely. And that's how we got together. And here's a good example, Andrew, just quickly to the to people listening, that we are keen to talk about and engage with and discover things that are going on. In, in the place. And uh, um, we were talking a bit before and you were talking about some of the, the names, you know, in, in quote marks that we have on. What we do is we have people and people who are doing interesting things. And I was uh, uh, immediately attracted by what you call the rainbow map. And uh, we've already, you know, introduced that. But that's just one part. In fact, it's even the, the final emergent property. So perhaps if you just sort of take us back a little bit 
into who you are and how you got into this uh, intriguing game of, of, of human behavior and human experience. Well, th- thank you for that. Yeah, no, it, it was wonderful that you uh, invited me to uh, to join you on this because you have some, you know, some really incredible people on this podcast, Dan Siegel, Deb Dana, Pat Ogden, all people I've got books on my desk. So to join you and talk about a subject I find fascinating, it's, it's really great of you to invite me, you know, sort of a uh, an unknown in a way. So, so I hope I don't disappoint. I suppose is what I mean. It's the needy I'm, side of coming out there. But yeah. um, I'm very, I'm very sure you won't. And and as as they say, no, the only way people become known is because they do the science of psychotherapy podcast. No, yeah. So you started, you started in the corporate world. You you sort of had a transition in life, as as quite a few people do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I I mean, going right back in a way, slightly unusual. I mean, I am dyslexic. I've probably been called dyslexic, you know, struggled to learn to read. But I struggled through and ended up with an MS in petroleum engineering from the University of Alaska, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, And then went in and worked for British Petroleum BP for a number of years until about 1992. Couldn't see my future in the old corporate setting and then started a number of businesses in the UK and the USA in in culture change and also my technical side, data management. So developed one of the world's first online applications in Seattle in 1997, sold those businesses off in the end of the 90s, but I carried on the coaching work. Uh, uh, with with the top levels, uh, civil servants in the UK government uh, and top uh, executives, you know, in the corporate sector in across Europe and the USA. But as the noughties went on, I started to think I was just working with really top people just to sharpen the blade. Yeah. And I became more interested in the psychotherapeutic end of it. And I, in, in 2009, I was so fortunate I got a placement to uh, uh, and started learning, uh, started training on an MA in couple and family therapy. And I sort of found I came home then. And I really thought I'd be working with people, couples and individuals who every hour I spent with them, would it would really be an important hour, you know, rather than just sharpening the blade. And uh, haven't looked back, really. And... Uh, so really got into systemic therapy, psychodynamic therapy, and, and a whole range of things. I was just like a hoover. I mean, I just, just wanted just to suck everything I could get my hands on up. Started to think I was getting reasonably competent. And then to getting to your point, why here, why us now? You know, the thought now, if I ever thought to myself I was getting reasonably incompetent, I sort of recoil from that now. In 2013, Richard, I don't know if you ever had this, but um, clients came in and just sort of rocked my world, really, you know, showed me how little I really knew. And it dawned on me that, you know, in the room, I just had a whole human. Yeah. You know, this just this narrative bit wasn't doing it. And uh, I had a whole human in, and in the same room with these people was a whole human. We were both physically 
you know, the, uh, narratively, our thoughts, our emotions, you know, the way our bodies were, everything was in that room. And unless I started to integrate, I mean, I've got, I sort of tingle a little bit, even now when I'm talking about it, uh, unless I started to try to integrate that whole thing, then somehow I was missing out, you know. And so I then went on the embodied therapy route. I don't know if it's the dyslexia or whatever, but a characteristic of mine has always been to try and make the complex accessible. Yeah. Uh, and so from 2013, I really went on a pathway which started to bring out things like the rainbow map to make uh, to bring embodied therapy I didn't really think about bringing embodied therapy to other therapists. I wanted to bring embodied therapy to my clients so that when therapy finished and they walked out, they walked out with expertise. Mm. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm really a strong believer that the clients and developing their psychoeducational and their expertise contributes to their resilience and their psychological resilience once therapy is finished. This is exactly what I'm in the, you know, my history going back through Ernest Rossi and, you know, back through that, through Milton Erickson, who was very much saying, you know, what is it that you're bringing? And in fact, I think one of the, the things that Milton Erickson would be not terribly pleased with is the number of people who are trying to emulate him. The, the whole purpose is to, is to find this creative, this creative framework in your room that emerges from yourself and the knowledge. But you didn't just make this stuff off, uh, off the top of your head. There are a number of things that I'm looking in your, um, in your background that you, you really referred to and, uh, and extracted from. What were some of the components to this idea? We'll get to the, the actual uh, beauty of this expressive um, this, uh, rainbow map that you utilize. But as you were working through these things, what were the highlighted elements that that you you really found you started to bring out and needed to be uh, noticed and created in the room with your client? The 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 the, the capacity for them to notice themselves, I think. Hmm. You know, if I, if I were to think about what is the rainbow map, what 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 are the the, the at the high at the high level, what are the main outcomes the first thing is the the increased capacity for clients to be reflective to be able to notice themselves because i mean it, we all therapists talk about reflexivity you know being able to modify and change our behaviors in terms of what's going on within us and what's coming into us and modify what we're saying and doing in relation to that well in order for that to happen we first of all reflection so so the rainbow map and this the model i developed this high level model uh the psychoeducational model the reflective mind reactive brain body model um they're, they're there to enable clients to be reflective by be distinguishing core streams of activity within them and then with concepts such as the trigger cycle and the trigger flag, which we can touch on as, as you see fit as we talk yeah, we'll about. Yeah, we'll do that in a moment, yeah. To actually then step off and be, uh, re, you know, step into the world of reflexivity. Mm. Because it, it, 
it started to dawn on me that unless clients can notice themselves triggering, you can't do some, anything about it. There's an incredibly, there's wonderful therapy going on all over the world in therapy rooms. And then the client goes out of the therapy room. But like the proverbial frog in the pan of water, unless you can notice things changing or yourself changing, it's very hard to jump out of that pan. So, so concepts like the trigger flag came into being. I mean, I'd love to say it all happened on one day, but it didn't work like that. I mean, it, yes, wouldn't it like to be great to be the resounding genius that discovers everything? Yeah, but yeah, uh, no. it emerges. But let's have a look at this. Um, this, you know, this final thing that that comes up at, at the end. I think, I think that's someone's car being stolen out. Oh no, somebody's already <laughs> stolen it. Excellent. Uh, but this, so this is the top end. This is the usable aspect we'll start there and we'll come back down because the um uh, the map that you've developed is uh this this a, a page it comes on a page it's something you write on has got uh divisions and frameworks and utilizes color so a dyslexic it just seems totally natural i understand now why color became a part of the frame because that enhances your understanding now, we will be putting an article about this in the next magazine, so people should come in and they'll be able to see these things in, in actual on a printed page. But if you could just describe the nature of the way the map works out, I'll just quickly say what I see, which is on, on one axis you have the, the levels of triggering and you can describe those levels. And then across the top axis, we have three or four columns uh, describing different ways in which, you know, inner and outer and physical. And uh, the last one I, that it all winds up to is what's called the trigger cycle. So if you could give us a verbal picture of this page. So a client is sitting there and they've got this um, page with colours and, and these axes. And what is, what is the... Uh, the opportunity they have there to really delve into their own understanding of themselves. Well, the, 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 from the visual side of it, it's, it literally is the rainbow map colours. So at the top level is a red band, which is the the hyper at the hyper end, hyper triggering. If you're in a real at the top end, you're in an absolute frothing rage. It's sort of your reflective mind is shut down and you are just full of reactive brain and reactive body, full of compulsive behavior. And then it shades down into orange where there's a bit of reflective mind but there's still a lot of compulsive behavior going on, compulsive emotions, compulsive thoughts. And then it shades down into the yellow band where you're starting to have a fair amount of reflective mind available, but you're, there's still quite a lot of agitation. So you're triggering up that transitional area. And then you get to the green band, which is where you are relatively okay. So, you you know, if you like walking the dog, going to the beach, you know, whatever, you, that might be the sort of thing you're doing when you're in that green band. And then shading down below that into blue, that's when you're starting to downregulate, triggering down. So you're getting quite sad, maybe a bit disconnected, maybe a bit critical of yourself, and then shading right down to the bottom, which is really, really disconnected, really in the depths, really depressed. Yeah. And so so it's there to reflect sort of the gamut of the fight, flight, sort of hide, play, dead 
survival system that all we humans carry around with us 24-7. And then it's it, the, the focus is, is what do you notice about yourself? When therapists are working with clients and they're working with the first column, which is around what emotions do you notice at those different levels? Uh, what types of wishes, if you want to think of the wishes as the narrative component of emotions, what type of styles of thinking do you notice that are going on within you, uh, what maybe are typical thoughts you experience at those different levels. And then across, and this is really where it starts to connect, bolt into the polyvagal theory, for any of your listeners who are into that, uh, it starts to then look at, well, what are the sensations you're experiencing and what sort of mannerisms can you notice? So uh, an example, um, you know, it's being used by therapists all over the world now. So, so I'm getting feedback uh, from lots and lots of different people in all sorts of different cultures. And one of the big things it does is it adds granularity. So rather than being sort of totalized by your experience, your triggering experience, what it's doing is enabling you to distinguish what's actually happening, you know, within you rather than just it happening and you in a way just being your behaviors or whatever, just being the outcome of that. You can actually notice that. Yeah, well, I I like uh, in in that as I was looking at it because sometimes in these observant things, which and and they're terrific, uh, other versions of of different things, but we're looking at a particular event, uh, and I'm looking at where I was up and where I was down and and so on and so forth. Uh, But I could very uh, comfortably fill out all the areas in this, looking at myself as a whole. And so I'm starting to to discover. Now, come on, Richard, be be honest with yourself. You get you get you get fully triggered. There are those moments. What are you like when you're fully triggered? And so it, it kind of encouraged me to be honest because it wasn't saying, "Tell me what you do when you're being a bad boy," or "Or yeah. you're being bad now. Tell me what you're doing." It's sort of like, "Well, you all know we do these things," and and that's why I like this final column where you seem to have an opportunity to put all these things in a perspective, this this trigger cycle. And I notice in the example that you've got on the page uh, uh, on the website that there's sort of movement and arrows and they're putting different time frames. And, uh, and I really related to that because I thought, you know, when I get really triggered, that really one in those stuff, how long do I do it for? And then when do I start making the shifts and changes? How long do I do I stay? Now, this yeah. gives me a lot of insight into to myself, you know, so what I do and the timing that I do it in. I'm imagining, I mean, that's, well, what I'll say is that's what I imagine, Andrew, as the creator and expert in this, how am I going in, in understanding It's wonderful it? to hear you say that because, you know, that's that's just absolutely where that I was hoping, you know, that, that, that that's exactly what that thing is about, that, that the trigger cycle. I mean, I stumbled on it, really. I mean, I'd like to say it was... Uh, you know, some really consciously thought through like, oh, yes, it's the trigger cycle. But as as I started to work with the rainbow map in 2015, you know, that cycle, there's just the way they were talking about where they were going on the rainbow map. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I was, uh, I started to see that there appeared to be a pattern. People who went above to the higher ends of the yellow, 
and into the orange and and uh, and red areas always then started to seem to talk about being downregulated afterwards right which really got me thinking you know what's going on why do i keep seeing this pattern you know what's going on and then i started to think about well because i'm very into evolutionary psychology and i started to think well is there an evolutionary reason for that cycle I started to think, well, 100,000 years ago, if you really ran away from a tiger, you didn't run away like, oh, I think I can just get away. Yeah, I'll just run away at half speed and I'll, I'll, I'll survive. Now, you gave everything you got to either fight off the threat or get away from it. And so we, they, we lived in a world uh, uh, of 100,000 years ago, whatever time you want to go back, where our predators, be they human or animal, were hypersensitive to movement. And so it would seem like an evolutionary positive outcome then to cause us to downregulate, to stay still, to not move for a period of time until we charge back up again so that we can then do fully another fight flight and and so i introduced the trigger cycle around about 2016 and uh yeah it's it's it it was i can remember 2016 17 working with a couple and the woman it really floored me really she 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 went through the cycle about how they went into this really credible arguments and then they came out and then afterwards she went deep into this sort of down-regulated triggered down state and then I can remember her saying but then I pretend to recover because hey the world has to go on the family has to go on but as soon as I pretend to recover I go down deep and it takes me a week to recover so, so that really, as you could see, really added granularity and, and her partner was in the room, really enriched the conversation. Giving her insight into the impact of, of this hyper-triggered, this, this um, lose, you know, getting into that really chaotic, well, I'm just seeing the chaotic, chaos and the rigidity sort of frames as well. So that's really interesting. And I'm imagining that uh, in that story that the husband, you're, you're suggesting found that surprising. That's not the way he responded. So when he looked at his cycle, it, it was different. And yes. that was must have been a huge insight for them, you know, because that, that thing that you do with your partner, we say, you know, why aren't you recovering like I am or why aren't you whatever it is you're supposed to be? Yeah, yeah absolutely, because what you get, I mean, people have different trigger cycles in different situations. But say in couple work, you you may find there's a certain area where the com- conflict is. And this works also in individuals, although you may have not have the other part, parts of the system in the room. But yeah, if one partner has got a trigger cycle of, say, three or four days, and one of them's got a trigger cycle of half a day, well, by the end of the day... Uh-huh. We're on with half a day. So saying, hey, what are we going to do for the weekend? You know, what, what, what we and the other one who's still, you know, right down there is not recovering, hasn't recovered, is saying, the last thing I'm going to do this weekend is anything with you, which then will trigger another cycle off. So by actually the couples and, and in, in individual work, by starting to, to notice that you've got this cycle, it gives you more access points. So, you know, when I said earlier on, what is the rainbow map about? It's about noticing your inner system. And one of the big drivers behind that is, I don't know how much you know, I, I see systemic therapy in virtually all mainstream therapeutic approaches. 
But yeah, yeah, we do quite, too. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's quite conceptually. There's quite a lot of theory and concept around it, and and it can be quite tricky as a therapist to implement it and do it really well. And I thought, well, can I actually make my therapists, my clients, uh, my therapist? Is that a Freudian slip there? <laughs> That's um, right. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, my teachers. Uh, yeah. Can I help? Can I, can they become systemically expert without having to have all of that theory in it? And so I, I actually thought one of the other outcomes of the rainbow map is by actually noticing a system within you. So as your body goes like that, my thoughts go like this, and as my thoughts go like this, I notice this thing about my body, and then and and you, you see this this reacting system within you which is your own information. You know, you can't deny it. It's it's there. It's within you. And in a way, that's in a way your own masterclass in the systemic world that sits around you. Yeah, Sorry. so important. No, no, that's good, but so important because I just uh, coming in there because this, this idea from, you know, and I talk about in my books and various things, you know, thinking in systems, actually, if you think in a systemic way rather than in a linear sort of way, yeah. uh, you understand that the thing that you observe, the overall most apparent thing, is actually comprised of elements. Uh, there's absolutely, and so differentiating them is a way in which you can actually alter what emerges, that emergent thing. And so there's these very simple, um, but I think they're the most fundamental elements to break it down to. As you said, the the uh, the emotions and wishes, the styles of thinking and typical thoughts, and then the physical sensations and mannerisms. If you can just manage to bring yourself and the average person down to those three elements and see them working, as you've just described, that that's what comes out, which might be a rage or which might be a, a collapse or might be, um, and and uh, it takes the pressure off the the emergent behaviour. I think, you know, uh, uh, is is what I'm thinking. Is that the is that the case? Uh, it's wonderful to hear you say that. You know, to you know when you write stuff and do stuff and then hear it reflected, sort of like the message that's getting, you know, it's it's coming back. What you hope the message will be. So. I know the 2015, I, I, early versions of the rainbow map, I knew were having positive outcomes. A few of my colleagues were showing interest, but I was very select, very careful in who I was training. And I wasn't really going out to train then. And, and I thought, well, yeah, there, there seems to be something here. And so 2016, 17 and into 18, I sort of went into Perda really because I really just deepen the theory base below it. Right. Uh, and in doing that work, you know, the immense complexity, you know, where neuroscience is going, evolutionary psychology is going. And I went on lots of training courses and I heard people talking, you know, about the frontal lobe. Yeah. And I thought, and, and there was sort of like this emphasis, well, psychoeducations mean in a way your clients, do they have to become a walking compendium of the, the, the what's in the brain? And I thought, well, uh, can I actually somehow melt this down to what the core non-negotiable elements are of what's going on? Which sounds really a bit, sorry if that sounds a bit arrogant or whatever. And no, not at all. Shoot me, shoot me down in flames. But I started to think, well, what, what is really going on here is we have 
in terms of neurological activity, we have reflective neurological activity and reactive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. neurological activity. And, and you see that as the basis of the rainbow map. And then I break the neurological activity down really into two components, the reactive brain and the reactive body. And then the reflective bit is the reflective mind. And if you, so I'm not saying I'm the only person to talk about mind, brain, and body, but maybe what I've done is is packaged it in the reflective mind, reactive brain, and reactive body that is very accessible by therapists and their clients. One of the things I really do like is particularly looking at the trigger cycle, this end column where you're looking at the movement, is... um, I could look at uh, anybody's map uh, and understand that, no matter what language. Now, there may yeah. be elements, because I notice here that you've got this um, uh, from a whole bunch of different cultures, uh, so it doesn't impinge on culture because culture is embraced by the nature of it. There's um, different people around Europe, different ages. Uh, there's a lovely piece here written by someone saying that their 17-year-old client really started to to get a get a hold of themselves and a grip of themselves, you know, I think it's uh, that's also one of the elements. I mean, obviously, um, there are quite a few words that will be written into the map that it would be handy for you to know the, you know, the meaning of them as you go through. But particularly that cycle. So there's a universality. I think is what I'm is what I'm getting at. Reading it as a therapist, but also as someone filling it out, they can they can put whatever they like. Uh, you know, whatever is their hierarchy of needs. Yeah, well, I've sort of been running alongside a a sort of a grounded theory research project alongside just as people provide feedback. It's a way of collecting that in. Obviously, it's a very non-intrusive way of of finding out what's what's going on. But uh, as you say, when the first article came out in Therapy Today, which is uh, the BACP, the British Association of Counselors and Psychotherapists, their flagship magazine, when the first article came out, I mean, I delivered the Rainbow Map workshop, which is a sort of a five-and-a-half-hour online workshop. Um, when I first, I delivered it a number of times, but I was just really bowled over by the reaction to the article, absolutely Amazed, and I never thought I would see person-centered therapists coming on something that apparently seems so structured. But mm. I, I think what they've seen, like you're seeing, is there is some structure there. But it, it, it's a it's a vehicle for clients to express themselves. Yeah. yeah, and and one of the things that's coming through that grounded theory thing is this: uh, there's a normalizing effect that 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 clients see this blank piece of paper, and yet they map onto it. And but it's obviously not designed for them personally. It's designed yes. for any, it's for any human. And, yeah. and so to suddenly find that you map onto something that every other human maps onto, for many clients, is a very reassuring thing. Like I, I'm somehow not uniquely blighted in this world. Yes, but, similarity but, and so, difference at the same time. Yeah, which is nice. Yes, yeah, and 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 so. I, it, Therapists from all mainstream modalities, you name it, union therapists, systemic therapists, obviously, mm. psychodynamic, IFS, you know, EFT, all sorts of therapists come on and then integrate it. And, the, you know, Richard, the most rewarding thing, I think one of the most, they do things I never dreamt of with it. Yes, 
that, that never dreamt of. I never thought, God, yeah, they, I never thought of using it like that. Yeah. And I've and, learned so much. And they come on the workshop, which is very, I mean, I, I like going on workshops where, where at the end of it, I sort of like really have had hands-on. I know I can make that step from workshop to practice rather than it's all theory. So, so and they actually use it and they're saying, well, I could use it like this or do this. And then I get feedback. I mean, there is a psychosexual therapist I'm not a psychosexual therapist. They're using the green band as a way to see, well, relative to all your other experience of sex, you know, or, or, or intimacy, you know, the green band, let's talk about where, where relatively it's been okay for you. And yeah. then let's move away from that where it's not been so okay for you. And, and, and I think... I was just saying, this, but this nice thing of uh, uh, what it gives you as a therapist, uh, one of the things that I've been looking at quite a bit is the, the nature of we have current issues, which is really sort of a counselling and uh, a sort of a psycho-counselling, but then we have deeper issues and more historic issues, which become more of a psychotherapy. And as you're working through these um, triggers um, uh, and you're laying a bit of a, a map, a bit of a, a, a plan uh, expression of the way in which the triggers emerged, uh, you know, I can see that you, you're able then to work with a client, okay, so which triggers are doing this? And and let's find out where those triggers are, are coming from. So, um, uh, like, for example, there would be a lot of what I would call psycho-counselling triggers that we've got at the moment, which is COVID-19 being stuck yeah. in. Yeah. It's just straight out, you know, what's happening today. Uh, but at the same time, some people will be finding upsets which go back to perhaps earlier childhood illnesses or various other bits and pieces. And this gives them an opportunity to go, wow, how come that little trigger event there that I'm talking about seems to be so rich and deep? Um, that's more than I would... Uh, the possibilities are endless is is basically what I think I'm I'm agreeing. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you, but but I'm reflecting. It's being used in extraordinary ways. I mean, it was uh, survivors of suicide, for example. Mm. I mean, the therapists working with them, are, you know, obviously using it very carefully because we yes. you don't want a re-traumatization experience. But it appears to be, with care, obviously, useful for survivors of, ther- uh, of suicide to actually then use the rainbow map to look into that experience. Well, it's externalising so, things, which is yeah. it's putting it out there onto the page and I can look at myself rather than having to sit here, remember it, and, and it's much, much safer. Yeah, it, that, that externalisation. And, and, and a big thing that, that, that while you raise that is that what it does is it helps clients also, and as a general theme coming in, is, is notice how automatic they can be. So as mm. you move into the yellow and into the blue zones and, and you go up, how your behavior becomes more compulsive, how automatic, and you can actually see that gradation. And as you start to notice your own behavior and how automatic it can be, then it's not a massive step, you know, in therapy to think, well, others around me can sometimes become automatic. And then 
within this are the seeds of forgiveness, the forgiveness mm. of yourself, mm. the forgiveness of others. I'm not, I don't want to portray it. It's, it's, it's just like a light for everyone that comes on. But depending on how you want to work with it, those possibilities open up. That's right. It enhances the possibilities of it. I, that, that's right. I was just about to say the same thing. So you're doing trainings uh, in this. Uh, I mean, obviously, at the moment, uh, things are a bit difficult about traveling around and doing things face to face. Are you you doing online trainings uh, through the website or what's the way you're doing things at the moment? Well, I run this as not for profit, first off. And the other thing is uh, for therapists in private practice, I've been told I should charge far more, but, but I charge as little as possible. Because if we're, my personal belief is if we're interested in diversity in our profession, we also have to think about diversity of how deep people's pockets are. Yeah, I, so, I agree with you. Yeah. So, so otherwise, we're just going to become a profession of those who can afford the ongoing training. And, yeah. and so, I, uh, so in the UK, it's forty-five pounds, uh, and a third of that goes to a homeless charity in the UK. Um, the uh, and in any other country, the the a third of the uh, anything that's uh, that's charged will go to a local homeless charity because of that connection between mental health issues and homelessness. Um, mm. And then for charities, I deliver this free of charge. I mean, they do try to pay me, but I just say that I'll just give the money. I'll just donate the money straight back to you. So you, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I, I, you know, when I sold my businesses, it gave me a certain degree of freedom, and uh, uh, and I'm motivated, you know, by other things, you know, and just the work, the the knowledge, and to, I mean, I've been working with uh, charities, as you can imagine, there's an overwhelming demand amongst people who can't afford normal therapy. You, you know, to pay for private therapy, there's a, for for people to access therapy at, at very low cost. I've been working with a lot of charities, say in South Africa, for example. I've trained a lot of therapists there across the UK, um, it, it, delivering therapy to people who can't otherwise afford private therapy yeah. so so i find that really motivating and then the, and and so so the workshop is five and a half hours long if you want to get stuck into the theory i send out a load of information on the background theory a couple of weeks beforehand people could knock themselves out and go as deep as they like into the theory but the actual workshop is virtually all actually being the client or being the therapist and actually working on your own stuff. Working because with the practical is, frame of it, yeah. This is an experiential tool. So mm. it's not so, you know, you can talk about it, but actually experience it as a client or as a therapist is, is the way you really connect with this, in my view. Uh, and the other thing about this rainbow map, and I've learned so much about myself as I've worked with clients with it. I, a, a few years ago, I noticed I didn't go down into the blue zones quite so much. And I realized, because I don't typically expre- experience depression or anything, but it scares the hell out of me. Oh, you know, when, yeah. when you talk to clients and, and, and the the length they can be depressed and sad for. Mm. So, yeah, you learn stuff about yourself when you do it as well and, and yeah. get involved in it. So the workshop's available online. I keep the workshop size down to maximum 12 because mm. that really keeps the interpersonal connection up. 
And there are literally now, by the end of the year, we'll have trained over 500 uh, therapists. I'm already training up other therapists to deliver the workshop because just the demand is, you know, people come on it and then they recommend it. And so, I mean, it's incredibly rewarding because it may be a simple page, but literally thousands of solitary hours went into this. Yes, we can really appreciate that. And so, so that's fantastic. People access and we'll leave, um, uh, we'll leave uh, links to all that sort of stuff on the, on the show notes as people are uh, finding the fascination. They can go and check it out and delve into all those, those, those deeper aspects. But I, I guess at this point, as we get to that um, uh, time to sign off, is there is there anything that uh, that we've we've not really clarified or not really put forward, or is there just a a, a beautiful hand sweeping final comment that you'd uh, that you'd like to make? I just think want to thank you so much for giving me a chance, you know, the, to to talk to you, someone and share this with you. I mean, it's really wonderful. You know, this bloke who came out of the blue in the UK and and you've reached out and I just want to thank you so much for that opportunity. It's been great talking to you and I enjoy your podcast so much and the the way you go with it. And and the other thing is, I suppose the only sweeping thing is, is, is that what I've tried to do is use client language. Yeah. That's why the words are triggering are in there or triggering up or triggering down. And, and this is about using client language and making something really profoundly accessible to clients yeah. so they don't have to go, you know, and study a new whole new thesaurus. So, so what I've tried to do is learn from my clients and then return that favor to them through the rainbow map. Well, it suits me a lot because being responsive to clients is the, to me, the the, the most important new phase of uh, of therapeutic change, and this is a great example of that. So, for now, uh, Andrew, so wonderful to have you uh, and listen to you share the stories, and for us to go over some of the theoretical frameworks. And uh, uh, we'll say goodbye for now, but we look forward to people seeing your article, and we look forward to seeing the rainbow map appearing all over. The the place. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been great fun. Thank you. So uh, that was really interesting. And I, I, I think Andrew's just one of these really interesting people who's come in and seen how to integrate his own ideas and thoughts into his practice. I really love the way he's done that. Um, I, I felt a bit lonely without Matt, but but I, I, hopefully we've all survived and, and uh, you all enjoyed the process nonetheless. Just remember, here we are. We love having the podcasts. Uh, help us keep this going by uh, becoming a member of our community and subscribe to the, the Fantastic Academy where there's uh, so much that you can learn and expand with. Otherwise, just hang in there and talk to us, send us messages. We love to hear from you. And uh, I'm just thinking now of whether I'm hyper-triggered or hypo-triggered or whether I'm nicely in the middle. I think I'm nicely in the middle. So many thanks to Andrew for his lovely contributions today. So uh, speaking for Matt, I'll say goodbye for him and I'll say bye from me. So bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.